Moms, today is a day that we honor you and we honor the work that you do. And one of the amazing things about mom is so much of the, the work that moms do is just the ordinary things of life. The wiping the noses, the, the cleaning the beds, the, the trying to get clean clothes on the kids and getting lunches and all these things that at the end of the day, you can get to the end of the day and feel like, what have I accomplished? And you can go around all day trying to clean up a house, especially those of you with little ones, trying to pick up a house and feel like at the end of the day it's just not even as picked up as you started. But I, to this morning as we study Hannah and look at the story of Hannah, we want to see how those ordinary things of life, those basic acts of faith, those basic acts of following God in everyday life can lead to an influence that is far beyond what you would imagine. That at the end of the day, when you think, what have I accomplished? It's, it's not about whether the house is picked up or not. It's whether that little boy or that little girl is better equipped to love God and to serve God. And so today we want to spend some time honoring you and studying what God has to say. It can be a challenge to honor moms. It can be a challenge to know what to do. I took my kids out yesterday and dad's I, I'm just a firm believer that it's our job to teach our kids how to honor mom. And so I took the kids out and we're out and, and Susie, I just want you to know I saved you from some things. <laughs> one of my kids thought that the, cause I said, what do you want to get mom? And one of them said, I'd like to get her deodorant. <laughs> and I, I said, why? <laughs> because she always smells nice. And so we had this conversation that perhaps buying someone deodorant doesn't communicate that they smell nice. (laughs) Perhaps it communicates something else. Another one of my kids wanted to get a drill or the latest Lego toy, the biggest, most expensive one. She'll like that. We're teaching. We're working on how to appreciate mom. My daughter, though, she got it. I'm taking her shopping whenever I go for Susie. <laughs> she she just she just knew what I'm not going to say what she got because we haven't given those to you yet. <laughs> but appreciating mom in the everyday life is just so valuable and so important to teach our kids those things. And as we talk to say, you know, what has mom taught you about Christ? What do you appreciate about mom? This morning, as we we look at God's word, we want to go to a story of a godly woman. Hannah, a story of a woman who went through some extreme difficulties, had a challenging life, but turned that and God turned that to be used for the kingdom, to be used for his purposes. God used Hannah to influence a nation, not directly. It's not a story of a general, a great leader or a diplomat, although I think it could be argued that a mom is all of those at various times. It's a story of an obedient, faithful mom who loved God. It's a story of God making extraordinary from the ordinary, because that's what he does. And Hannah gave birth to Samuel at a time when Israel desperately needed a leader. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And as you turn there, I want to challenge us to to look at this morning's text from three different perspectives. And and as we go through the points, to number one, I want the text to speak to our moms that are here. 
to our moms that are our moms of young children, of, of grown children, and anywhere in between, to our spiritual moms that are here, who have taken their time and invested in other people in this very room and become a mom to them, a mentor to them. And so this text, I want to speak to you to say that your impact is enormous, even though you may not see it. As you follow God faithfully, as you obey Him, He will use that to have enormous impact on others through the people that you minister to. And so moms, we want to encourage you, spiritually and physical moms. Second way to approach it, or second perspective, is as we hear the the points and, and look at Hannah's life, I want us each to think of our own moms. To appreciate the influence that our own moms have had on our lives. To maybe be thinking of some things later today as we get together as families that we can thank mom for. For very specific areas of influence and things, ways that they pointed us to Christ. And then finally, the third perspective I'd like to come to is that we come to this text realizing that Hannah is a woman of God. And she is in God's Word as an example, as an illustration that we can all look to, that we can all look at. In, in a sense, she is a spiritual mom to all of us because God in His, His sovereignty has seen fit to include her story in His Word that is profitable for teaching, for instruction, for correction, for knowing how to behave and how to, how to live. And so we want every one of us come under Hannah's influence and let her continue to influence us. We talk about a, a mom that influenced a nation through Samuel. But because God has included her in His Word, this is a mom and a woman that is influencing generations. Far beyond her son. As God uses her story to instruct all of us. In 1 Samuel 1, verse 1, we, verses 1 and 2, it's really the setup of the story. And, and the setup really begins back at the end of Judges. First Samuel chronologically immediately follows the time of the Judges. And the very last verse of Judges, Judges 21-25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that was not a positive statement. That meant there was an absence of leadership and people just did what they wanted to the destruction of others around those, to the harm of those, uh, those around them. The nation was in disarray and needed a leader. And that's the setup for verse 1 as we get into the story of Hannah. There was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, the Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, listed first probably because she was his first wife. And the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And right there at the end of verse 2, we see the setup to this story. We see this, this dilemma, this conflict between Hannah and Peninnah and, and Hannah, the first wife, had no children, quite possibly in their tradition. That's why Elkanah took another wife. And his second wife was able to have children. And in that culture, one of the, the chief desires, one of the, the chief ways that a, a wife found significance was to have children, was to bear children. And so for Hannah, this sets up a very difficult time and a very difficult setting 
And that's the conflict that we come into her, the story of her life that we see her character on display to learn from. And so we want to take this, this woman and learn from her. To look at what lessons of faith and faithfulness we can glean from her story as we find it in 1 Samuel. And the, first, the next um, five verses, 3-8, through eight, give us the first thing that we see. Hannah lived her life in faith in spite of painful circumstances. Hannah lived her faith in spite of painful circumstances. And if we put it into a lesson we can learn, let heartbreaking circumstances put your faith on display. Let heartbreaking circumstances put your faith on display. She came to this crisis moment and had a choice. Do I follow God? Do I still follow God? Or do I abandon Him and completely lose myself? And completely lose my life? Let's read from verse 3. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. And, and the, the setup there, and just to understand what's happening, one of the things that was commanded of the Israelites in Deuteronomy 12 was that every year they go to the place of worship and they make offerings to God. And they would bring all kinds of offerings. They would bring burnt offerings, offerings for sin. They would bring sacrifices. But they would bring thank offerings. So they would bring tithes. They would bring free will offerings. And those things represented a gratitude to God. Because God has always asked us to give back to Him the first of what we have as a sign of gratitude, as a sign of trust, of acknowledgement that everything I have is from Him. They would bring the firstborn of their herd and their flock. And what's interesting is right from the start, it sets it up that they went every year. They were faithful in what God had commanded them. Verse 4 goes on. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And part of the tradition of these, these thank offerings is you would sacrifice an animal on the fire and, and they would basically roast it. And then the priest would take some and eat it, and and then some of the leftovers were given back to the family, because part of this, this routine that is described in Deuteronomy is after the sacrifices, you celebrate what God had done. And so the family would take the food, and they'd have a feast, and they would celebrate and praise God and give thanksgiving to God. And so the priest would give the food back to Elkanah, and we see just an interesting situation here where Elkanah gives both to, to both of his wives. He provides for both of them, but he sets aside a little bit more for Hannah because his heart was turned to her, was broken for her, and he loved her. And verse 5 very specifically says, the Lord, or Yahweh, had closed her womb. This time of barrenness, this time where she struggled to even know what her purpose was and, and, and to continue. And, and we're going to read on that her heart was just so deeply grieved was part of God's plan for influence, for her life. But it was still hard. Verse 6 goes on, And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so not only did she have to deal with, I don't have any kids, 
but the other wife was rubbing it in every year. And I can just imagine, they're going up to, to sacrifice, and she says, hey Hannah, where are your kids? Oh, I forgot. You don't have any. And it broke her heart. Over and over and over. In verse 7 it says, So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. And you see the result. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Hannah was in a difficult, painful, excruciating situation. The desires of her heart weren't being met. Someone was there rubbing it in her face. But notice... Year by year, she went to the house of the Lord. She obeyed. She worshipped. And we're going to see that as this text unfolds. Nothing stopped her worship and her faith in God. Verse 8, And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And he's responding to this this wife that he loves deeply. And this is a caring response. Even if he didn't quite understand the depth of her pain. And that, that he wasn't the one that would fill that void in her life. But he was trying to comfort. He was trying to understand his wife's heart. Men, we can learn from that response. To listen to our wives. To understand her heart to understand the pain that is there sometimes, and to come alongside and enter into that with her and care for her and love her. And so we see Hannah here living her faith in spite of painful circumstances, obeying, still going and worshiping. And in the next section, we'll, say, we'll see that it was a real genuine worship. It wasn't just, oh, my husband's making me go, so I have to go. And out of that deep pain, there was faith. A love for God. It's interesting, one of the, the authors I was reading just made some, some insight or some comments about her faith. Here she's showing up to going, as going to the Lord's house. No other woman in the Old Testament is mentioned doing this. In addition, Hannah is the only woman shown to making and fulfilling a vow to the Lord, which we'll see in the next section. She is also the only woman who is specifically said to pray, and her prayer is among the longest recorded in the Old Testament. Her prayer includes the most utterances of Yahweh's name by a woman. And so we're going to see as we study this passage, her faith just come out. But we see it in these first few verses. She lived her faith, no matter the circumstances. See, even though she didn't understand what was happening and know what was going to happen, she still believed in Yahweh, her God. And we know that despair often is a prelude to God's work, to His mighty hand, to Him putting His work on display. So our first lesson is let heartbreaking circumstances put our faith on display. Those times that we have a heart that is breaking that we don't understand why the desires of our heart aren't being met. Let that be an easel that the painting of your faith brightly shows to everyone that sees it. Because people will listen. 
People will listen when they know you're going through difficulty even more than if everything's good. They're like, well, of course you believe in God. You've been blessed. But when you take the difficulties and say, I believe in God, people take notice. What's interesting is Hannah here is is showing her character in these times, even before she had children. Her character is on display. And we see how God is developing her and how she is the woman that God has to to nurture Samuel, to influence Samuel, and through him to influence a nation. Second point in in verses 9-16, through the second lesson we can learn is to pray fervently and consistently. To pray fervently and consistently. Hannah turns struggles over to God in real, humble, and ongoing prayer. Prayer was her answer to distress. Let's read starting at verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. And that, that's an interesting statement because she, she left the celebration because she had something to do. And that action begins a sequence of events that changes a nation. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. That's where the priest would sit and monitor worship, make sure it was was going well and make sure nothing inappropriate was happening. In verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, so no sound was coming out. And her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. Remember, he's sitting there observing, making sure worship is happening in an appropriate way. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord. I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And Eli is corrected. And we know from his sons not walking with God and where he's at that that he didn't have the spiritual sensitivity at this point to even realize that she was praying. And that God was doing a work here. But what an incredible example of Hannah turning to God in distress. When we're in pain, when we are hurting, there are so many places we can turn, right? We can turn to friends. Some turn to alcohol. Some turn to seclusion and and just shut everything up and just sit. Hannah turned to God. And in so doing is an example to us Moms, as you raise your kids, as you have tough days, and there are many tough and challenging days, you set an example to your children by how you respond. Do you respond by turning to God in prayer? Do you respond by still keeping your faith? Those things teach your children and influence your children. Those difficult days might be divinely ordained so that your kids can see what to do in difficult times. So they can see your faith. So they can have a model of how to pray. 
and how to trust God. Hannah had bitterness of the soul in verse 10. Deeply distressed, wept bitterly. Those are words that describe a deep pain almost unable to be put into words. And so she pours out her heart to God in a real prayer. This wasn't just a, a light prayer that, oh, I don't want to you know, say what I'm really feeling because God not, might not be able to handle it. She poured out her heart to, God, heart to God. But she did it in a humble way. If you look at verse 11, O Lord of hosts, she starts with His majesty, with His greatness, recognizing His position. And then three times through that verse, she calls herself a servant. And so she's got who God is and who she is right. And she comes as a humble servant with a request. Because God loves when we, we bring our request to Him. He asks us to bring our request to Him. And she makes this vow. She says, if you'll give me a son, and this isn't a bargaining, this is a sincere, genuine desire on her heart to have a son, but to have him serve God. If you give me a son, I will turn him back over to your service. And this was probably a Nazarite vow, something like we saw with Samson. And, and this Nazarite vow for this case was for his entire life. And so he wouldn't, he would be devoted to God's service. He wouldn't be able to touch alcohol or even, even grapes or fruit of the vine in any way. Wouldn't cut his hair because he would be dedicated to God's work. This is a difficult vow to make. I mean, just put it in perspective. If, if you moms and dads, when you have a child, you say, you know what, I'm going to give this child over to God and I'm going to let him leave my home in just three or four years and turn him over to God to serve God. That is a challenging example for us. But that's the vow that she made. She was so committed to serving God and to loving God. And in her brokenness, she goes to Yahweh with the desires of her heart. And she prays. And we should never underestimate the power of a praying mom. If you've never read Michael Omardian or Stormy Omardian's book, The Power of a Praying Mom, moms, read that. Because prayer changes things. Prayer is a way that God has chosen to work through us. Susanna Wesley spent one hour each day praying for her 19 children. Although she did that out of pain because 11 of her children died. But in addition, she took each child aside for a full hour each week to discuss spiritual matters. And she was committed to praying for them. It's no wonder that two of her sons, Charles and John Wesley, were used mightily in both England and America to change the church. The power of a praying mom. But I don't want to lose sight of the fact that she's doing this out of pain and out of struggle. And when we talk about Mother's Day and, and when, we, when we come to a gathering like Mother's Day, I know that the, the emotions that span even in this room are wide. And I know that there's some that have, have gone through loss this year. Loss of your mother, maybe loss of a child, or a miscarriage. And I know that we have some that are, are struggling with, with wanting a child and God not bringing a child yet. 
And this story reminds us that God knows. And He hears. And He cares. And we can come to Him. One author wrote a prayer to moms on Mother's Day or to to women on Mother's Day that I want to read a, a portion of because it reflects what we as a church family, how we should be caring for each other. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss or miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. You are church moms, whether you have physically given birth or not. We need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit and pray with you. To those who have lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who have lived through driving tests, medical tests, and overall testing of motherhood, We are better for having you in our midst. We need you. Tell us how. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you longed for it to be. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you through those mixed emotions. To those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, We anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. Thank you. The story of Hannah reminds us of the, the wide range of moms that we have. Thank you. We are a church family, and we walk together through every one of those situations. Third lesson, as we look at the, the example of Hannah, she, she stayed consistent with her faith. She turned to God in prayer, which are both evidences of her character and ways, things that she would pass on. Third lesson is to visibly display trust in God. To visibly display trust in God. She genuinely trusted God for the outcome. So she's finished praying, and we get to verse 17. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. So he gives his priestly blessing on her. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. I love that verse. The woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. What had changed? Nothing yet. She wasn't pregnant at this point. She, she didn't know for sure that God would answer prayer. She just had God's promise. And that was enough. That's a testimony to her character. Because she trusted that God's will and God's way was enough. And it showed in her actions. She went back to family. 
her. She was no longer sad and downcast. I can just picture her walking in and starting to eat, and they're like, what happened to you? I met God. God has it under control. What an example from this woman. It's a perfect example of Philippians 4, 6, and 7, a verse that we use often, that we talk about how we pray and how we give requests to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, we, and, and we, we've taught through that. When we taught through Philippians, we taught that through prayer, we can leave it at God's feet, we can trust Him, and we can, our hearts can be lifted Verse 7 goes on to say, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Hannah was an example of that verse. She prayed. She heard God's answer. She left it up to God. And her countenance was completely different. After prayer comes trust. Moms, your kids see every situation. You are teaching every day in every moment. Let them see your trust in God. Let them see hard times. Let them see you pray. And then let them see a change in your countenance that trusts that God has it under control. That follows Paul's words in 2 Corinthians when he's talking about his thorn in the flesh. That he says, my grace, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness as Paul allowed his weakness to be a display of God's power. But then read on in verse 19. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wording that's very similar to God remembering the children of Israel in slavery. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And we see even in these verses a worship of God in verse 19. Again, this is before anything's changed. They got up the next morning and they worshipped God again before they went home. They went home and she became pregnant. God answered prayer. And she didn't just leave it at that. At the end of verse 20, she even used the name of her son to give glory to God. To give credit to you. Isn't that cool? I, I love that they, they could name their kids things that meant something. And we do, but we don't have the same, same idea of what names mean. But for them, every time someone would have heard Samuel, it would have reminded them that the Lord answers. I have asked for him from the Lord. So she used even the naming of her son to bring glory to God. Genuine prayer leads to genuine trust. Genuine trust leads to genuine thanksgiving. Because if we never trust God for the outcome, it's hard to thank Him and give Him credit for the outcome. And we see that on display with Hannah. She genuinely trusted God for the outcome. And our lesson is to visibly display trust in God. I can think of so many times where I saw my mom put this into practice where I knew things were difficult, where I knew things were challenging, and we would pray as a family, and my mom had an uncanny way of being, of just communicating to us, it's going to be okay. 
It's going to be okay. Sorry, Mom, I know you're here, and I don't want to embarrass you. But we can learn. And I knew that she trusted God. And that built into me a deep trust of God, and her influence goes on. Moms, don't waste difficulties. Use them as opportunities to display prayer, to display trust, to display thanksgiving. We can learn. Fourth lesson, embrace the daily. I know that doesn't make sense as a sentence, but I'll explain it. Embrace the daily. Her ordinary acts of care were preparing her child for a lifetime of influence. Let's read at verse 21. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. So he still is continuing to obey God. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And in this passage, in these verses, we see a mom that is gently nurturing and caring for her son. Probably into the age of three. So this wasn't like maybe six months. This was three years and she was giving her son a start and nurturing and caring for her son. But all the while planning on obeying her vow and honoring her vow to God. In fact, that was the reason she was nurturing so that she could bring him to the presence of God and he would dwell there forever. And so she kept Samuel through those tough and tiring years, right moms? Of of one-year-olds, babies, two-year-olds, of the constant, mommy, 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 mommy. I could go on because I know some of you haven't heard that in an hour. (laughs) And you miss that. And she took that time and she gave Samuel a foundation. Those impressionable years those formative years in a a little boy's life. And she obeyed God with the ordinary, with the daily tasks of being a mom. Moms, know that your, your faithfulness to raising your kids, even if it may look like things that aren't spiritually motivated, are teaching spiritual lessons. You're teaching faithfulness. You're teaching how to honor God, how to honor and obey God. Embrace the daily. I know it's hard. I know it's challenging. But it's a vehicle that you are forming that little boy, that little girl, to be a man or woman of God that will end up influencing others. Husbands, there's something for us to learn out of this section too. In verse 23, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. And what's interesting is is in, in Jewish law, when a wife made a vow, the husband was was able to nullify that vow. So if the wife would come and say, Hey, I vowed this to God. If the husband said, Well, I don't like that. He could say, that's done. That vow is not valid. We don't have to honor it. And God would accept that. 
And what's interesting here, and, and it's, it's just a little verse, but Elkanah here is showing his support for his wife's vow to God. Instead of saying, no, that's not convenient. I, I can just imagine if, if Susie came home when, when she found out we were pregnant with Mark, and she said, I'm pregnant with Mark. Yay! And we, we celebrate. And she said, and we have him for three years. And then we give him away. And I promised God. I would be tempted as a husband to say, no, I don't think so. That's my firstborn boy. I mean, understand Elkanah. This is a, a dream of his to have a firstborn boy as well. Every man, that was how they carried on their lineage. This was important. And he honored that his wife can talk to God too. That his wife can bring spiritual value to the family. And he supported her and said, let's do this. And then he says, let's make sure the word of the Lord is fulfilled. Husbands, we can learn from that. We can learn to support our wives valuing ministry, to support their following God, to partner with them. It is not violating our, our spiritual leadership to value our wife's spiritual input. As a matter of fact, it shows that we are good spiritual leaders when we do just that. Lessons from Hannah. Embrace the daily. The fifth one and final one, and I think the most difficult one in the story, develop a releasing faith. Develop a releasing faith. Hannah's faith in God allowed her to release Samuel for God's service. And it could only be her faith in God that would, would have her follow through on this. I am amazed at this woman of God. In verse 24, And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as, I, as, long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. That last phrase, I think, is referring to Samuel. And he worshipped the Lord there. And we see a mom that is keeping her vow, that is faithful. And moms are great at keeping their promises, aren't they? And she kept a big one. And showed Samuel what it meant to follow God and to obey God. They brought an offering, and this was a generous offering. It didn't need to be this large of an animal. It didn't need to be this many items. Some translation, instead of a three-year-old bull, will say they brought three bulls. That quite possibly is accurate. And so they were just generously praising God and giving Him this thank offering as they gave their son over to God's service. And this is a great example to us moms and dads of our goal as parents. Not that you should bring them once they're three to the church and leave them here to live, but that we are training them to serve God. Our, our purpose is not to give our, our kids the life of comfort that we wish they had. It's not our biblical purpose. 
Our purpose is not to entertain them the best we can. Our purpose is to train them. To train them to follow God. To love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to equip them and release them for ministry. And at times that is joyful and easy and and, and rewarding. And at times that's hard when they may go into harm's way. When they may leave to serve God. But really, that's the point. See, our kids aren't our kids. They are simply a gift of God, and Hannah's story reminds us of that. They are a gift of God that we are entrusted with for a short time to train and to launch into ministry. It's interesting, verses 27 and 28 The wording there is really hard to put into English, and so different translations will use different wording because over and over the same Hebrew word for I've asked of God is used. And and one author put together sort of a, a more literal translation. For this child I prayed, and Yahweh gave me my asking, which I asked from him. And I also have given back what was asked to Yahweh. All the days he lives is the one that is asked for Yahweh. And she's focusing that she has come to Yahweh and asked, and He has responded with His power and His work. And so she gladly will give back the one that was asked for because it's not hers. As we give our kids to God, as we trust God, as as we trust them as they go to serve God and in ways that we can no longer control at times, It's good to remember the greatness of God, the sovereignty of God, His mighty hand, and allow our kids to make an influence for the kingdom. In chapter 2, we see her prayer. And we don't have time this morning to get into the prayer, and I want to close by reading it. There's so much we could... A whole sermon just on, on this chapter. But listen to her trust in God to her exalting in an incomparable God, to a trust in God's sovereignty. This is the example of faith that God uses to influence Samuel that influences a nation. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. By Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren have borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world. He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and He will give strength to His King and exalt the power of His anointed.
Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. And this prayer that we would think would be a prayer of heartache was a prayer of exaltation. Of, of realizing that the purpose is God's purpose. The purpose is how can she, through her offspring, be used by God. What an incredible example of a godly woman who became a godly mom, who God used to influence a son that influenced a nation. And moms, it's a great reminder that the little things you do influence your kids in great ways, and then they go on to influence others. For all of us, it's a challenge to our faith, a challenge to our faithfulness. We can learn from Hannah. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord God, our Father, Lord, what an example that you have put in your word of a woman who through great difficulties reminds us that the only answer is to turn to you and to trust that you are sovereign and that you are executing your plan. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage every mom that we have here that you would encourage them to keep fighting the fight, to see the significance in the little things, to be incredible examples that teach us who you are and how to follow you. I thank you for the spiritual moms you've given us as you've given us a village, a rich supply of moms who are investing in other ladies, who are mentoring, who are discipling, who are investing in our children, We are blessed, and we thank you for that. Lord God, may today be a day that we are reminded of the faith of a mom and challenged to be men and women of faith and faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.